Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, March 6, 2020, the day that Pixar's Onward finally arrives in theaters. Okay, not exactly, to be fair, because it's a common practice now in Hollywood that a film that's opening on Friday actually begins offering a few presentations on Thursday night. So in effect, they front load their gross. And last night, this Dan Scanlon movie sold $2 million worth of tickets. So Pixar has to be happy with that, right? I mean, I think that's a pretty good number, especially when you're talking about, you know, it's a movie for children. Mm -hmm. It's... you know, it's it's not a movie that a lot of kids are going to go to on a school night. Plus, there's this whole coronavirus situation happening. So, yeah, yeah. which is just today got even stranger. You were talking about what? South Southwest? Yeah, South by Southwest. The city of Austin canceled South by Southwest, which is just crazy. And earlier this afternoon, word came out that Peacock Live, you know, Comcast, NBC Universal was basically going to stage their first D23 Expo. That's been postponed as well. So, um, Peacock Live, Jim, don't tell me about <laughs> Peacock Live. Oh my God. <laughs> no, no. Who, who can wait for Peacock Live? No, wait a minute. Okay, one of the perks of going to Peacock Live is you were going to get to see Trolls World Tour early, which you were just telling me you really, really liked. I did really like it. I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking about it yet, but I'm going to say it because I loved it. Mm-hmm. I saw it a little while ago, and I think it's awesome. So, yeah, I think uh, Trolls World Tour was great. Okay, but interestingly enough, that film also got impacted by the coronavirus because... The new James Bond, No Time to Die, decided because it's a very tough time to be releasing a giant international blockbuster at a time when the theaters in China are open. So what? They pushed that to the fall. And No Time to Die had grabbed the Easter weekend. It was going to open on April 10th. Right. And then Trolls World Tour was going to open the the weekend after that on, on April 17th. But, of course, with James Bond gone, that, of course, Universal went, absolutely, let's, that, let's move up a week. And so now Trolls World Tour is opening on the 10th and has that big, fat, juicy, family-friendly weekend right. all to itself. And provided we're all allowed still to go into theaters at that point, it should do fairly well. On, on the other hand, to pivot back to Onward, uh, was over at Rotten Tomatoes early today and saw that it has an 86% freshness rating, which, I, you know, I won't lie to you folks. I mean, when you have films like the original Toy Story and Toy Story 2 have a 100% freshness rating, an 86, which any other film would love to have, actually puts you in the bottom third of all Pixar films. Oh, really? Uh, what are the other yeah. movies down there? Well, I, you know, just above it is A Bug's Life with a freshness rating of 92%. And just below it is Monsters University, which is a freshness rating of 80%. But, but you know, I, I want to point out here, though, that freshness over Rotten Tomatoes doesn't necessarily translate into monetary success. I mean, take, for example, the, the lowest rated Pixar films over at Rotten Tomatoes literally are Three, all three of the Cars films. Uh, the original Cars has a freshest rating of seventy-five percent. 
Cars 3 has a freshness rating of 70%, and then Cars 2 has a freshness rating of 39%. All right. Uh, you know, so that, that's actually a rotten tomato. But on the other hand, if you pivot over to the consumer product side of Disney, very different story. The original Cars movie, which launched the Cars brand, even before Cars 2 came out in 2011, it had sold $10 billion worth of merch. Uh, and in fact, it just a little did a little more drilling down into this. Statistica compiled a chart back in January of 2016 that showed the leading film franchises in Hollywood based strictly on merch sales and toy sales revenue. Uh, and again, I want to caution folks, this is from January 2016. So individual film franchises' positions may have shifted around over the past four years, but on the top was Star Wars with $32 billion worth of merch sales. Uh, mind you, again, it's a distant second place, but Cars was number two with $10 billion worth of merch sales. And then below that is Toy Story at $9 billion, uh, Harry Potter at $7 billion, and then <laughs> this is, of course, before Frozen 2. The original Frozen was $5.3 billion. And, you know, so when you look at something like that, it's easy to understand how a Walt Disney company would say spend $500 million to make Cars Land at, at California Adventure or spend a combination of $2 billion on, what, the two Galaxy's Edges plus the Star Wars Galactic Cruiser Boutique Hotel for Walt Disney World. So given that, you know, reviews don't actually translate into revenue, don't be surprised if in five years we're walking through Onward Land at some Disney theme park. <laughs> you Well, did you see that the truck is at California Adventure? I did. I did. And also uh, the walk-arounds of Ian and Barley. Mm -hmm. Who are really good. I met them at the premiere. Um, mm -hmm. They're really cool. Yeah. But it, did you see where it's placed at, at California Adventure? No. What did they have? You remember the little like band Pixar Symphony or whatever, the little bandstand that, that's on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in what? They, they toward, used to call it the, Par yeah. the Paradise Garden. I guess right. now it's Pixar Garden. Right. It's like more towards like emotional whirlwind. Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. area where the truck is parked, which I think is very sad because who who wouldn't want some live music as they're walking around Pixar Pier? But, you know. Well, we'll see. Speaking of things that well, at least make me sad. I went, and again, remember, we talked on our last show, Drew wrote The Art of Onward, the 176-page hardcover that Chronicle has published about the Pixar's latest movie. And I wanted to I wanted to be socially responsible. You know, I, I could have ordered it through Amazon, but I thought, no, I want to buy this locally. I want to go into an actual bookstore because I, I want book, actual bookstores to, to exist. So I, I went to my closest Barnes & Noble, which is just down the street from the Mall of New Hampshire uh, in Manchester, to buy a copy, and walked over to the movies and television section. It's not there. So I go to the info desk. I say, hey, do you have any Art of Onward? Are there, you know, do you, have you put them out in the shelf yet? Are they out back? And a woman clicks away on her computer, and it's like, no, I'm sorry, we don't have it. And it's like, oh, oh, all right. Well, could you check to see if any Barnes and Nobles in the area have it? And click, 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 click. And it's like, no. In fact, there were no copies in all of New England. We drew talking Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island. And, and, it, and I'm sorry to say it wasn't because this is such a brilliant book that it sold out so quickly. 
evidently this is once again related to the coronavirus and you know there's a certain amount of the the tariffs and the trade war with China factored in here but I asked her well where's the closest store that has one of these and she clicked away and it's like Oregon but I, again, I want to stress, if you, you go to Amazon.com, or for that matter, if you go to BarnesandNoble.com, uh, they're happy to order a copy and send it to you. So that's kind of where I am right now. Uh, my birthday is next week, so I'm actually ordering a copy of oh my the God. Jim, you for me. You're, so. you're going to look good for 21. That's all I'm going to say. You're going to look good for 21. <laughs> yes, and you're saying, get a, the photos builder, it looks like 21 people standing together. Which, you know, <laughs> wow. You know, so anyway, in other Disney-related news, uh, animation news, have you seen the, the latest Star Wars Clone Wars? Uh, I have. Episode I watched three? it this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so on, <laughs> kind of an awkward title, On the Wings of Creeradax. You know, making the making these episodes really accessible, Jim, for people who have just started watching Clone Wars. <laughs> but look, awkward title, and, and the episode's a trifle dark. As far as I'm concerned, this 21 minute and 40 second, you know, piece of animation was more entertaining than all two hours and 22 minutes of the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Oh, shots fired. Shots (laughs) fired. No, they they do nice work. But at the same time, just this morning, uh, Sarah Morin uh, over at Screen Rent was pointing out that there was a scene cut. And in fact, Drew, this kind of ties back to what you talked about previously, the, what were they called? The Lost Missions? Um, Yes. Yeah. They were on like Netflix for a little while. But again, the, the folks, these weren't fully animated. They were story reels, animatics, that sort of thing. And I guess there were 13 of the partially finished shows uh, for season seven before the, the series. And I love this language. Before the series was retracted from <laughs> Cartoon Network back in March of 2013. But anyway, I, I guess if you, you go and chase down the animatic, uh, there's a, a particularly grisly scene where you remember that that decimator, that floating weapon they mm-hmm. introduced in the middle of the episode. Evidently, there was a, sh- a scene that before that where somebody asked, "Well, how does that work?" and they fired it up and basically turned some creature into a pile of goo. And I, I guess by Disney standards, it's like, well, I don't know if we want to show the kids a pile of goo, right? So. Listen, I think I'm always uh, very pro-goo in my family <laughs> entertainment. Did you, you saw Bumblebee, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, when the bad guy turns humans into goo, I thought that was great. It's like, a, it's, a fun, <laughs> it's a fun little way of getting around some, some issues, some violence, you know. Well, uh, you know, um, boy, this is a bad transition. From piles of goo to... Piles of feathers. There we go. Uh, did you see the tweet earlier this week from Frank Egon? He's the co-producer and story editor of DuckTales. Yes. All right. For those of you who missed them, they popped up on the 5th and some big news is coming like a hurricane. And then it's let's do this as in DEW. And what? An hour after that, we got confirmation that season three of the Emmy nominated DuckTales is going to premiere on April 4th. On Disney XD and Disney Now, two episodes airing back-to-back. Kind of interesting that DuckTales is not coming back on Disney Channel this season. Oh, really? Is it uh, XD? 
Yeah, just XD and Disney Now. I guess given how often they're running Descendants in the Zombies movies, you know, it's just like, I'm sorry, you know, no time for DuckTales. But you know, we were just talking about Disney XD stuff that we're getting a new animated series over there with with the help of Josh Gad. It's not an animated series, Jim. This is live action. And this is what? on Disney Plus. Yes, it's a Beauty and the Beast prequel series that will feature Josh Gad and uh, Luke Evans as Gaston and LeFou, respectively. Hmm. So maybe maybe that Epcot movie was kind of priming the pump, you know? But Yeah, but Josh Gad is listed as a co-creator sh- and sh- co-showrunner. And uh, mm-hmm. Kitsis and Horowitz, who did... I know you watched a lot of Once Upon a Time. I did not. Um, I but, did. Uh, I did. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I'm never getting those hours yeah. back. So. It just seems oh. so confusing to me. So I was like, you know what? Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. You know. But I think the, um, real, the real draw is that they say that Alan Minken is in negotiations to write new songs for it. So that oh. is very enticing to me. Uh, you know, in, in fact, you know, the irony is... If I had my druthers, it would have been Once Upon a Time that would have ended after two seasons, and then the the great little uh, musical sitcom that Alan Maker was associated with, Gallivant, would have continued for six or seven seasons. That was I wonderful. loved that show. Uh, Gone too soon, Jim. Gone too soon. Well, well, but not necessarily gone. I, I did read an interview with Mencken late last year to the effect of there's so many wonderful songs from from that show and that supposedly there's been an attempt to sort of create a gallivant for the stage cherry picking out the best songs of the two seasons of the show hey you know who knows it could happen yet on the other hand we did see uh hank azaria in fact he did uh i don't know if you saw the interview he did with with the new york times but he actually talked about his process about coming to the realization that he really did have to step away from voicing a poo for the Simpsons that it as he put it it just didn't feel right anymore but he talked about he went to meetings he talked with folks I mean initially I guess his response was you know look we make fun of everybody when you know why single out a poo for special treatment but you know eventually began to realize you know okay you know, maybe they're right. And so, but what's interesting is we've yet to hear, is a poo going to come back, you know, on The Simpsons as a character? And if so, who's going to voice him now? So Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, I mean, I, I give Azaria a lot of credit for how he's handled this whole thing. I think that initially he was way more kind of reluctant to engage, but he's shown a lot mm-hmm. of maturity, I think, um, and Oh, no, 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 absolutely. The, the, the way he just talked about, he went out and educated himself and realized he was coming at this from the wrong point of view. I, I can't help but look at this, you know, the Apu situation, and then pivot to Disney's new, uh, the new Disney Junior series, Mirror Royal Detective. Is that a Sophia spinoff? You've okay. nailed it. It's more to the effect of members of the Sophia team, or, well, <laughs> by proxy, remember... Elena of Avalor, which you know, a lot of people who worked on Sophia, that's right. Okay, you know, came okay, over. That's on. right. And there was a there was an episode with Sophia and Elena in it. I remember. That's it exactly. Well, this one, on the other hand, Mira, Royal Detective. It's, it's aimed at Disney Junior. It's a show that's made up of two 
11 minute long stories, but they talk about how the show will showcase India's vibrant heritage and show which is aimed at two to seven year olds. Uh, will feature authentic music, dance, and costumes. Anyway, what's interesting is on the exact same day that it debuts on Disney Junior here in the States, Disney Channel India will have a sneak preview. And this series is then being launched in 160 countries around the world. But again, you know Disney. They're anticipating that it's going to be a hit. So just last month at Toy Fair International in New York, uh, they rolled out all of the Mirror Royal Detective dolls and role-playing product and play sets and all that. So, I don't know. It's one of these things I want to applaud it, but then at the same time, knowing that this is the Walt Disney Company, which has designs on building a resort and a theme park in India someday, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> wow. It's like the opening, the gambit of World War II. It's like, okay, you know, we, you know, we, we built this all on the shoulders of a, a royal detective. But on the other hand, other news this week. Did you see the the news of, in regard to Taika Waititi? Uh, yes, I did. The reports were a little confusing to begin with, but I'll yeah, I'll I, let you explain what it is. Okay. Well, as I understand it, Taika has signed with Netflix to do not one but two. Not an animated series, it's an animated event series. The first is a series that's based on the world and the characters of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, while the second is a wholly original take on the Oompa Loompas, who, mm-hmm. again, are going to star in their own event series. And, you know, we've had a lot of Willy Wonka you know, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory stuff over the years, Drew, that, that what, we had the original Gene Wilder film back in 71, which, by the way, did you know that was partially funded by Quaker Oats? No. Yeah. I, <laughs> I had mean, no idea. Uh, David Wappler, who produced the film for Paramount, was looking for additional money and, and went, figured, it's about a, you know, a chocolate factory, let's go to a food company. And Quaker Oats was like, ooh. And they actually did what was known as a Wonka bar, that was put out on the heels of the film that actually sold for several years after that. Uh, then we had, of course, in 2005, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the the Tim Burton take on it. And, you know, I, I always loved the interviews with Johnny Depp where it's, oh, no, we have not based him on Michael Jackson. Why would you think that? You know, <laughs> and it's like, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, and then, of course, in 2013, there was the... Uh, the stage musical, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, there was the initial production in the West End, and that had a, an entirely new score by Mark Shaman. I think uh, the only thing they carried over from the film was pure imagination, but Mark Shaman... That course, was Sam Mendes, right? Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Mark is the guy who wrote the wonderful score for Mary Poppins Returns. And then we got a revised version of that on Broadway in 2017. That very same year, we got Tom and Jerry, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which, have you ever seen any of these Tom and Jerry's? Where they, no, I had no idea that they ever visited the Chocolate Factory. They are actually, um, first of all, very well produced and very clever in kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead sort of way, as in they're in the story, but they're off to the side. They're observing things. They're, you know, they're causing things to happen, but 
But the two that I've seen, they did Tom and Jerry, The Wizard of Oz, which is uh, really beautifully designed, well done, and very much of the 39 film. And then this one, uh, which they actually dedicate to Gene Wilder. But yeah, it, it is literally a sort of a Reader's Digest version of the film from 71, only animated. And... Directed by Tony Cervone, I want to say. Uh, uh, produced. Produced. Spike, Spike uh, Brandt directed it. But those those two are peas in a pod, so okay. I understand. Yeah. Well, I bring that up because while there is a lot of Willy Wonka, there is a ton of Scooby-Doo, which we'll be talking about right after our break. Before we, we put on the dog, so to speak, you were telling me, Drew, about the, uh, the new trailer that's just dropped for Trolls World Tour. Yeah, we've had a lot of trailers this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Trolls World Tour. Did you see the Connected trailer? Yes, I and that one, I have to admit, I really, really like for a lot of reasons. And in fact, mm-hmm. my daughter, Alice, got a hold of me and was particularly happy because I guess the daughter in this film is gay. And, and face it, everybody lately, I mean, for example, what was it, uh, Rise of Skywalker, it's like, we have a gay character. <laughs> you can see her for exactly two milliseconds. And right. doesn't Onward also have? Yes, there was there was actually notices today about it being banned in several oh. Middle Eastern uh, countries because of it. God. So, you know, yeah, it's but very he, silly. But here, instead of a token character or that sort of thing, Here's a character literally front and center. And more to the point, it's no big deal. I mean, it's just one of these things she's got her her little rainbow pin on and there's language in that sort of thing to the effect that acknowledges it. And again, it's just it's just part of who she is. Um, well, you know, I know we talk about Paranorman a lot, but yeah. remember that gay character? That was what, 2012? Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Paranorman. In fact, every year when it comes on, it on uh, well, what used to be ABC Family, now Freeform. <laughs> but, but face it, that reveal is like five seconds before the movie ends. And it's, right. it's a wonderful gag. It really lands beautifully. And then any other time you watch the movie a second and third time, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. I get to see it. It's there. But I, I think it's a little different from doing it, you know, an acknowledgement as the movie is ending versus starting yes. off. Okay. I'm just saying that it was much, it was very ahead of its time. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Regard. And it's still a wonderful piece of entertainment. And, yeah. uh, and, and again, no disrespect to the Pixar folks, but it, it, I, I would have been happier if, you know, if a certain film this year had gotten the best feature. It's two certain films, you know, Missing Link and Klaus, <laughs> but eh. Um, and speaking of trailers and, and movies coming out soon, did you get to see Scoob or you, you did the press day? How did this work? It was like a long lead day. We basically saw, I saw about 30 minutes of it, mm-hmm. I would say, maybe a little less. Okay. Um, we were in the offices of Warner Animation Group mm-hmm. uh, on the lot, Okay. Um, which I'd never been to before and mm-hmm. was very cool. Okay. Although they don't really, they don't animate in-house, so it's sort of weird, you know, it's like kind of a... A corporate office, but there aren't any artists there, mm. which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. But um, especially given the history of Warner Brothers, but oh, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it was it was cool to check out the new movie. Um, I'm assuming you watched the trailer, right? I did, I did, okay. and I also, again, folks, remember, I'm old. I saw the original Scooby Doo. Where are you? When it debuted on CBS as part of its Saturday morning lineup back in September 1969, you know, 10-year-old Jim, sat down, watch it. 
And what was interesting, I didn't know this about the show, Drew, but evidently Scooby-Doo had been created because they'd gotten notes uh, at Hanna-Barbera from the network to the effect of, you know, these shows like Space Ghost, where all conflicts were resolved through violence, people getting punched or blasted or that sort of thing. So it was like the network's like, look, you have to come up with a nonviolent show because we have all of these parent groups that are starting to complain about violence on television and how they affect younger viewers. So that was, you know, the, the whole notion of Scoob and the gang never fight with, you know, I mean, there's a lot of running around, but they never resolve their crimes violently and or these mysteries violently. But you and I were talking about, as we were just getting started here today, though, that, you know, when you think about how much Scooby-Doo there's been since 1969, the fact that the original series only ran for two seasons, and what are the point? There's only 25 episodes. What? Uh, 17 for season one and then eight for season two. And the show is literally completes its run. I mean, the last of the new episodes air in late October of 1970. And for any other show, that would be it. But that's not what happened with Scooby. In 1972, we got the new Scooby-Doo movies. What's funny is that when you watch them today, it's like there's there's Sonny and Cher. The Sonny and Cher actually do voices of, of themselves in the show. Don Knotts is in the show. Dick Van Dyke is on the show. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they, and they always looked really a lot like their actual counterparts. Yeah. It was very, they were like done in a different art style. It was like, oh, I, I can tell who these people are. Well, but, you know, what fascinates me, though, is have you heard about just last year they launched uh, over at Boomerang? Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, where it's they pick up this this conceit of they have a mystery with a celebrity. They've they've got uh, Mark Hamill actually did one as Mark Hamill. Where on the other hand, they've got uh, Julia White has come back to do Urkel, and God help us, they've got Kevin Conroy voicing Batman. So it's Scooby-Doo and Batman working together. But but anyway, there were all of these shows. It seemed like every year. Uh, especially after Scooby-Doo completed its run and went over to ABC, which, by the way, remember, this is Michael Eisner at this point, who's in charge of children's television over at ABC. And so he's the one who's going, yeah, Scooby-Doo and the Dynamite Hour. Absolutely. Let's put that on in 1976. And then the right. ne- next year we get Scooby-Doo and the Laugh Olympics. And and then there was that, that crime against nature, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. And I want to bring up for our, our listeners who who love disney and who look at the great mouse detective and you know they remember oh vincent price's very last performance was voicing radigan for that film and wonderful animation by glenn Keane and what a wonderful tribute and it's like wrong vincent price's last performance was actually for a scooby-doo show the the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo where vincent voiced a character again who looked just like himself uh vincent van gool and then uh, there were all sorts of uh, home premieres and that sort of thing. But you were also talking about people actually talk about the good Scooby-Doo show. What was it called? Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated? Yes, which I, I only just started looking at on Netflix while I was writing up my piece for coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really the art is really good. It's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sort of takes a more more nuanced approach to the material. Mm-hmm. And you said Alice was a big fan, right? Oh, yeah. Well, part of it also is that there was a genuine story arc. There's a pretty elaborate backstory and 
Ah, okay. After we wrap, I'm going to go chase that down. But, but of course, we did get two live action films. We got the Scooby Doo in 2002, and then 2004 we got Scooby Doo Two: Monsters Unleashed. And now, um, here we are with Scoob, which, you know, in fact, they make the joke in the trailer to the effect of, well, you know, every superhero should have an origin story. And it's like, have we forgotten everything we learned from a pup named Scooby-Doo, Drew? Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even Tony said that he thinks this sort of takes place in an alternate hmm. Scooby-Doo universe because there there have been so many versions, you know. So. No, no. Absolutely. But I have to admit, one of the things that sort of jumped out at me is that when they were putting Scoob together, they they decided that this was sort of a quintessentially Californian story, which kind of surprised me. But at the same time, it's like, wow, you know, young Shaggy and Scooby meet on Venice Beach. Mm -hmm. Well, Tony said that he had never heard of a burrito before watching it as a child. So he... um, he, he found it to, the original to be a quintessentially Californian story, mm-hmm. which, yeah, so that's where that came from. I mean, again, it would have been nice if the animators had been here. They were in, you know, Dallas and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Montreal, I believe. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's interesting that that's sort of the angle. He wants it to be the L.A. version of what Spider-Verse was for uh, oh, New York. Yeah. That's great. Uh, but, yeah. At the, but at the same time when you start digging down into the details of the trailer and for example you look at the cityscape you know like the mystery machine is parked on a street and you look and it's like wait a minute that's mr people's pet store from Magilla gorilla from 1964 and it just yeah and if you look to the right of that shot jim you'll really appreciate this mm-hmm. it's actually the outside of the hanna barbera building oh my god really yeah, yeah it's that same kind of honeycomb type um, you know, mid-century design, yeah. All right, so. well, that, that also is something else, again, as somebody who grew up watching all these shows on Saturday morning, the fact that the villain of this this film is Dick Dastardly, who came on the canvas in 1968 with Wacky Races, and then as you, Hanna-Barbera would do, if you had a character that broke out, and, and, and here, here's the genuinely funny part, Drew, Dick Dastardly broke out largely because it was Paul Winchell doing the voice of Dick Dastardly, but this is the exact same year that he's also voicing Tigger for Winnie the Pooh and the Blessery Day. So he's kicking ass on television and kicking ass in theaters. And so the very next year, they launched the the Dastardly and Muttley in their Flying Machines show. Right. And you will see that an updated version of The Mean Machine oh. in this movie. So, yeah. And, and now I get that Scooby-Doo, they actually did the D- Scooby-Doo Dino Mud Hour in, what, 70, 77, 78, something like that. Um, did they talk at all about, cause this is a very different take on, on Blue Falcon. Yeah, this is actually Blue Falcon's son. Oh, okay. So the character that Mark Wahlberg plays is Blue Falcon's son. Mm-hmm. And so the arc sort of is that Dynamut is still Dynamut and he is sort of loyal to his father and isn't into this new Blue Falcon. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of it, they sort of have an understanding and, uh, stuff like that. Um, they kind of become more of a team, let's say, and, and work together. But, you know, it's very interesting because the movie is sort of structured around partnerships between a human and a dog. Mm-hmm. So it's Blue Falcon and Dynamut, 
Shaggy and Scooby, and then Dastardly and uh, Muttley. What's his name? Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's kind of an interesting structure for the movie. But, you know, I was telling you off air that, that there were a bunch of other Hanna-Barbera characters that did not make it in. Now, there are some more that, that we haven't seen yet in the trailers, mm-hmm. like... Captain Caveman is a big part of this one. Um, Dee Dee is a big part of this one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we saw art for Grape Ape and Jabberjaw. Oh. Oh. And at one point, Adam Ant was in it and a bunch of other characters, and they just did not make the cut. So okay. TBD, who shows up in this movie? Wow. wow. Will Scrappy make an appearance? Who knows? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I, I seem to recall there was a codicil put in the Geneva Convention about that. You know, just sort of like, <laughs> I think we all agreed we've had enough scrappy too. Um, the, the trailer suggests, you know, fairly smart writing. I love the design. What did you get for a sense of tone, though? Because the, the, the ad seems to be fairly knowing, fairly in on the gag. Yeah, it, it does seem like that. It. He said that it's more of like a global adventure, mm-hmm. um, which is part of why the Falcon Fury and the Mean Machine are part of it, because you could get around a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So they were just stuck in the bus or the, you know, the van. It would, they can't really go to, you know, far-flung locations okay. uh, using okay. the van. But, yeah, they, he said it's more of an adventure. It's still very funny. Mm-hmm. I saw a scene that involved a big-name cameo that we were, you know, told not to reveal, but... Mm-hmm. But the tone generally, it seems to be like they're going for that kind of a Lego movie into the Spider-Verse sweet spot of kind of acknowledging the past and having fun with the property, but still kind of pushing it in a new direction. So we'll see if they can pull it off, Jim. Yeah, I just, I love the continuity here because if you think about it, you know, you had Frank Welker, who was the original voice of Fred back when the show launched, dear Lord, 41 years ago? Uh, no, 51 years ago. Oh my God. You know, and here's Frank now doing the voice of Scooby. So again, so. Yeah. Uh. And, and, uh, the great Will Forte, uh, Shaggy, which is, I mean, the cast is really good Mm -hmm. in this thing too. So that, that's another thing that's very exciting. Okay. And this is June? When, when is this being released? May. May. May 3rd. Well, as of now, May. We'll see. We'll see what <laughs> there happens. we go. Yes. You know, again, if we're ever, you know, <laughs> we're all sitting at home watching Disney Plus, all right? You know, they'll, they'll, they'll launch their own streaming service so we can actually see this film. Okay. Um, well, when when we're all trapped in our houses, Drew, we'll, we'll need things to entertain us. So, obviously... Uh, we'll be loading up a lot of light diffuses. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's next for your Mission Impossible oh, podcast? Jim, we've got we've been banking some amazing guests, mm-hmm. if I do say so myself. We talked to Marianne, Brandon, and Mary Jo Markey on the on the show last week, as I said, and then we talked to Michael Kaplan mm-hmm. a few days ago, who is the amazing costume designer for Ghost Protocol, and he mm-hmm. also designed for for Blade Runner, the last three Star Wars movies, and literally. Probably all of your favorite movies. Everything from Clue to Seven, he's done the costumes oh, for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And um, also want to mention that I will be at a, a presentation slash book signing at Gallery Nucleus in Alhambra on the 14th, so next Saturday. Um, so please come visit and say hello and get your Art of Onward book signed. There you go. In fact, you, you're going to be there with a couple of animators from the film. Is that right? Or? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really fun afternoon. So, yeah, come on down. Okay. Well, again, if you're in L.A. or 
you know, more to the point, you want to go, don't want to go all the way to Oregon to get your book. Uh, right. you know, definitely check that out. On the other hand, if you're like me and trapped in the woods, you know, there's always Amazon.com. There's always BarnesandNoble.com. And I've heard that, you know, Art of Arnwood is worth it. Now, let's see. I wanted to pass along a special message to Danzi, the gentleman I do, the Looking at Lucasfilm uh, podcast. That jerk? <laughs> Well, no, I was going to tell him that he had to listen to the Light the Fuse episode where you bring in the veteran customer because of that wonderful story in regard to Blade Runner and what Harrison yes. Ford had to say about, oh, you're going to wear a hat in this film. Yes, uh, so. yes. We have a lot of things and we'll make Danzy's you know, the hair stand up on the back of his neck, I'm sure. So, okay. Well, well, I mean, for better or worse, Jim. Well, like I said, but addition to looking at Lucasfilm, we of course have Disney dish with Lentesto. We have our marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcast here. Oh, uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and I would imagine that he and I are going to be talking at, at length about Peacock Live not going forward. Uh, we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. We just recorded a brand new show on that. Uh, and I guess for now, that will do it. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor and head on over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only fine-tuning, but also uh, Light the Fuse. That helps us get extra eyeballs and ears. And then if you really, really, really like uh, what you've been listening to, if you head over to Bandcamp, and subscribe, that would be helpful. Now, Light the Fuse has a social media presence, right? Yeah, we're Light the Fuse pod on most social media accounts, okay. so just look for us, yeah. Okay, and uh, likewise for Jim Hill Media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, still don't understand that one. Uh, but anyway, again, just mark your calendar so the week ahead again. That, that's March 17th is, is the signing, Drew? Uh, March 14th, so March next 14th. Saturday. Yeah. Next Saturday. A week so. from Saturday. So this upcoming Saturday, whenever this will air, yes. Okay, and, and yeah. ho hopefully by then I'll, I'll get my copy in the mail. But yeah. uh, till then, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.